G'day Groovy Humans and welcome to A Groovy Enlightened Life. Today we are talking to Daniel Rosenberg. Now Daniel is an activist and a cultural change agent and he has this beautiful passion for connecting to the natural world around him and spending a lot of time in the wilderness. We talk about how important it is for us as humans to start connecting into the natural world around us and finding that true belonging. We also talk about climate change and what's really going on in our opinions and we explore the concept of trauma, what trauma is and how that shows up in the world and how that affects our cultural systems and society around us. I hope you can join us on the episode today. Sit back, relax, grab a cuppa, let's get cracking. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'd love if we could start by you sharing a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world. <laughs> well, that's kind of a complex question. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of things in the world. Um, presently, I <laughs> my day job is not terribly exciting. I cook pizzas at Whole Foods, but um, in the meantime, I'm in the process of creating my own podcast, as well as um, there, <laughs> I want to plug myself a little bit here, <laughs> if that's okay. That's um, I was on the television show Naked and Afraid, which is like a survivalist TV show. And the episode airs on March 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern time, if anyone's interested. And one thing I'm hoping to do in the near future, maybe this summer, start actually leading people on sort of um, wilderness immersion programs with like varying scales based on people's experience level um so what like my passion and my desire and my like longing for my life uh, that i've been slowly sort of stepping into more is to be sort of a bridge to help human beings connect with the natural world in a way that um our culture has forgotten that's nice and how did your journey begin down this path you know, for me, actually, I think it started when I was really young and I didn't really know it at the time, but I had a pretty tumultuous childhood with um, like my parents getting divorced when I was really young and a lot of like family sort of like disillusion, um, which I mean, like my whole family system kind of fell apart. And so I lived. And after that happened, we my mom and I moved to this like small house at the edge of this forest reserve, which wasn't very big. It was, I don't know, maybe 10 acres, if that. But I remember frequently when I was younger, I would go off into that forest preserve and just either with friends or by myself, I would go and I would play games or I would wander around or I would just sit and listen to the sounds. And I think what I while I didn't realize it then, what I think now in hindsight is that may have been one of the only places where I felt completely safe, where I felt like I could be myself. I felt like it didn't matter what was happening or how I was feeling or where my parents were or any of that, that I could just be and be accepted in that. That's beautiful. And did that continue through your life to now? Or was there a bit of a stage where you sort of went off in a different direction, I guess? Um, I think there's been ebbs and flows throughout my life. 
Um, later on, I was in the Boy Scouts, and so I would frequently go on trips. We'd um, go kayaking or canoeing or sailing or rock climbing or hiking and all sorts of things. So that continued to be a part of my life throughout my like, middle school years, high school years. And in college, I think it was always sort of there, kind of on the fringe. But I feel like there was a period there where <laughs> my engagement with the wilderness and with nature was mediated through books and classes and things like that, um, which was far different from the sort of intimate engagement that I had un unknowingly been experiencing. Um, but that sort of, I think that was actually really valuable for me because in a way that really stoked my longing for that. And after college, I really spent a lot of years where I would just like in and out of, I would be in the city and do kind of like city human things. And then I'd be like, all right, I got, I got to get away from here. And then I would <laughs> go and maybe like wander through the desert or go camping, go on a long backpacking trip or something. It, it was sort of this like back and forth where I felt like I had to be in the human world because mm -hmm. that was what was expected of me or what I thought I should be doing or whatever. Um, but something in my soul needed me to be in the wilderness. So I would like mm. go and do the thing I thought I should be doing <laughs> until I couldn't bear it anymore. <laughs> and then I would get away. And that really continued until um, about a year and a half, almost two years ago when I discovered wilderness therapy, which is the first time I ever found a job that felt like it was what I was supposed to do if that makes sense like Absolutely. i was getting yeah so i was getting paid to do this thing which was basically wandering around the desert with troubled kids and helping them to connect in this way that is so meaningful oh wow um, and so it was like for me it was kind of like this marriage of like the the human sort of like logistical financial concerns that whole paradigm and this like really deep felt sense of nature is everything mm, that's beautiful so how do you go about i guess your daily practices and deepening that connection to the natural world oh for me i can tell you so today um <laughs> today i did something <laughs> um i i'm really fortunate right now to live i live outside of baltimore city in maryland and I happen to live in this little random set of trees, not unlike the forest that I grew up behind um, when I was younger. And so today I got off work, I walked home and it's just, it's been kind of challenging for me to be at home lately due to like conflict and uh, friction with roommates. And so instead what I did is I went, there's a little stream down by, this little um, valley near my house. And I went and I sat there for a long time and just listened to the sounds. And then I felt inspired to go up to this place where there's like a ring of trees that I had noticed and spent time in before. And I went up there and I started sort of speaking to this place and speaking to the other beings that I share this place with the trees and 
Um, there were some deer and all of these things and just sort of like, I think there's something really, really crucial to that. This acknowledgement of this other that is there with you, that nature is not just a static backdrop to your experience, that there's actual life there that you can relate with. So I was up there relating with it and spent some time listening to to this community and I was up there for maybe two hours today just talking and listening and exploring and that was it that was just today (laughs) that's beautiful that's beautiful and I guess how important do you think this I guess connection to our natural world is for us as humans I think that it is one of the most important things there is. Um, I think that there's a sense, I think, in our culture and in the world we live in that goes unacknowledged most of the time and people don't really talk about it. And most people may not even be conscious of it, but it's like this subtle sort of like underground narrative that like runs beneath the current of our society that says like you don't belong you have to do something to be worthy to be enough you're not okay as you are you have to push yourself you have to work hard you have to make money you have to you know have a job you have to act a certain way dress a certain way behave a certain way and if you do all these things then you're acceptable, but that's still not the same as belonging. And I think belonging is something that we really long for. And that is essential for us as human beings to feel whole and to feel Mm -hmm. safe. And I think there's many ways to get that sense of belonging. I think people get it in small communities where they truly are accepted as they are and all of their weirdness and wildness. (laughs) um, I think people get it in certain kinds of relationships, the type of friend where they can go and bring and share everything with and feel that it will be accepted. Um, Though there's some sense of belonging that I don't think that we can ever find with other human beings. Because all of our cities and all of our communities and all of our institutions are couched within this greater context, which is the natural world, which is the earth, which is the cosmos. And we live in a constant battle. Our society, our culture lives in a constant battle against natural forces, trying to stop, halt the aging process or destroy illness or, you know, manage land or, you know, all these different wild things that I think speak to this like deep sense of like, we're not safe here. We're not okay here. But if you actually go onto the land and you spend time with the trees, you spend time with the animals, you spend time with the elements and you really take notice of them, the felt sense that I get is nothing like I'm not safe here. I have to do something to stay alive. It's like, oh my gosh, this world wants me to be here. I truly belong here. This is truly home. It's a long answer to a short question, I suppose. But I think that 
I just so happen to believe that that felt connection with the natural world may be the single most important thing that um, we can find at this time in human history. Mm, absolutely. And I guess what I'm seeing out there is we're trying to control things instead of work with the natural mm-hmm. world. Yeah. And that's really interesting, right? Like, why do we think we need to control things? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, our ancestors weren't in control of anything, <laughs> yet they would like go and, and do little things. Like I think like even Native Americans would do controlled burns to like renew force and things like that. Yeah. But they didn't feel the need to like cut down a forest and plant a bunch of soybeans or something in order to get what they needed. They would trust the land and the land provided for them. That's right. It's just like a, a mutual relationship. They understood what the land needed. So that's probably the level of control. If you look at it from that perspective, that was there, but it was more just that mutual uh, understanding and relationship connection. Yeah. There's a, there's a phrase called sacred reciprocity, um, which is about sort of recognizing that we are, in constant relationship with the land and that the land is so generous and gives to us and that we have then the opportunity and perhaps a sort of duty as good friends to this land to express our gratitude and reciprocity and do things like plant seeds or propagate mushroom spores or controlled burn certain forests when they've reached a point of stagnancy. so that's what I imagine. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I imagine that's what <laughs> they they felt they were doing at that time. Not like we're going to do this because it's good for us, but more like this is what the forest wants from us right now. Yes, this is exactly. something we can provide. Yeah, that's what the earth needs. So I guess on the topic of like we've been talking a little bit about the the earth and control burning and things like that. What are your what's your take on climate change? <laughs> that's a big question too. <laughs> Um, it's interesting. I, I, in a weird way, I don't really think about climate change that much. I used to like a lot, a lot, a lot. I used to like spend like dark nights in despair in my bedroom. Like, Oh my God, what have we done? (laughs) Um, and I really think that, that we did. Humans have this pattern going back all the way to ancient Mesopotamia, like the first known, like modern, ish civilization with like cities and roads and laws and things like that they did this thing there where they stripped the soil bare of all its nutrients and they had to leave because the land couldn't provide for them anymore and if you look at like every place civilization has ever been that's exactly the pattern that's happened well now our civilization is global and we're still behaving the same way like trying to take too much than the earth is giving freely um and depleting her and now we're you know we're at that same stage where oh no the soil can't really provide for us it's time to move on to the next place but this time we have nowhere else to go <laughs> and the christ the impact of our behavior is on a wider scale than it's ever been where the entire earth is impacted and I think it's really easy to fall into this trap of like, 
that I've fallen into of like, oh my gosh, we've like ruined the earth. Like we're so yep. bad. And like to get like wrapped up in this like guilt and shame. Um, and you know what? The earth is fine. Yeah, totally agree. The earth, there will be like loss and it's okay to grieve that loss too. Like the rhinos or, you know, different plant species and all this biodiversity that may never exist again. And ultimately the earth can take care of herself. We are not nearly strong enough and I, th- I sometimes wonder if maybe like climate change isn't like the earth having a fever the same way that we'll get fevers if we have viruses to like kill off the infection. And like maybe we are that virus and we are that infection unless we choose to inhabit a different way. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely have similar um, thoughts to you. Basically, she will take care of herself. And if she's got to shake us off, then that might be it for us. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of think, and I don't know if I'm a pessimist or what, but I think that the catastrophic climate change, like we're, I think we're past the tipping point. It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep getting worse. There's going to be flood. There's going to be drought. There's going to be fire. There's going to be all of these things. It's going to intensify over the next however many years. And I think that like society as we know it won't be around a whole lot longer. Um, and maybe that's true. And I would be like pretty okay with being false or being mistaken about that. However... For me, there's a sense of relief in that too, because it's kind of like, a, okay, if we can adapt to these changes, we can learn from our mistakes and like re, re-engage with the earth in a way that's more humble and more respectful and more appreciative. Yeah. Um, yeah, I look at it at right now, like you said, that tipping point. We've definitely hit that tipping point, and it's really about our choices from now on. Mm-hmm. So we've got a choice to to make whatever changes that need to happen to, you know, reach extinction (laughs) or to just live in a different way. It'll be a change. It'll always be a change. Nothing stays Mm -hmm. the same. It's just it'll be a different way for us all. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have chosen it, but I would like to be a part of that way you know i want to see what the world looks like on the other side of this yeah it might be scarred and frightening but like i would much rather see it than not and some of the earth's greatest changes and evolutions have come through severe catastrophe there was like a i think the first i can't i don't know the specifics but in like the earth's earliest stages where like there were only single cell life forms, like one of them started producing this like noxious gas that was toxic to literally everything else that existed. And it killed in like that 99.9% of life on earth wiped out because of this one like species started producing this gas. Um, but the, the few creatures that survived that mass extinction actually began to incorporate this gas into their metabolism, which ultimately led their metabolism to be way more efficient 
and they could grow these much more complex and sophisticated structures. And now everything on the planet depends on this gas for its metabolism and for its like for its life force to flow. And that gas is called oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Oxygen killed everything and now we can't live without it. So I wonder sometimes what might be in a million years from what we've wrought. Yeah, absolutely. What's next? Yeah. Uh, sounds exciting, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of exciting. <laughs> I may look at it in a different way to others, but I'm actually excited about the prospects. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, we've spoken a lot about trying to connect to the natural world around us and how do you see that affecting you know our culture our society you know our spiritual dysfunction in the world the first thing that comes to mind for me is like you would like no one would ever dream of doing mountaintop removal coal mining if they were friends with those mountains you know like it's it's i'll i'll have these experiences where I'll be out on the land and like be with, with the trees, for example. And I'll suddenly like, I'll see one that's been like wounded by like an ax or something. And I'll cry and I'll like, it'll, I'll genuinely cry. It's not like I'm, I'm summoning this. It's like, I am genuinely grieving for this poor tree that was devastated by a unconscious human. And I think if, more people were connected to that because I don't think I'm special. I think I just have spent enough time conversing with these beings that I'm, I feel connected to them in the same way I might feel connected to my mom or my brother or my friends. And so when I see them hurt, I feel that as if it's my hurt. If our culture, if enough people started to, engage in this way and start to feel this way. I, I can't imagine, honestly, how the world would be different. What I do know is we wouldn't be like, like cutting down fields every year to grow corn. We wouldn't be stripping mountains for coal. We wouldn't be like over harvesting, like throwing dynamite in the ocean to catch fish. Those types of actions would be unthinkable. And what we might see is the inverse of that is people saying like, Oh my gosh, look, look at this, look at this, look at this field here. The soil is so eroded and all, like, maybe what can we do to help rebuild this soil and to rebuild the health of this soil? Maybe we can, maybe we can plant like these hemp plants that like bring nitrogen to the, the ground. Maybe we can uh, get like mycelium from different kinds of mushrooms to start colonizing it. And what would actually happen? I think would that, that our culture that now relies upon extraction from the environment, like that would be so unpalatable. It'd be nauseating to like our culture to even do something like that. And instead we'd be asking constantly these big questions. We would have like the big question for the election year wouldn't be like what we're going to do to create more jobs. It's going to be, what are we going to do to like, you know, clean up the Gulf of Mexico? What are we going to do to rebuild the soils that have been eroded away? Mm. Um, people would just 
want intrinsically to take care of the planet rather than it needing to be legislated or imposed somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I see, you know, with this recent climate change sort of actions that everybody's, you know, putting it back on governments and, and things like that saying, well, what are you going to do about it? And I continuously say to people, what are you going to do about it? You know, that starts within first, mm-hmm. you know, the government's not going to catch up until we actually make that internal change ourselves. And like you said before, more and more of us get on board with it, then yeah, it's going to tip the scales. Yeah. And like, what's the government going to do about it? Like put like a carbon tax that doesn't, that doesn't make a difference really. Like maybe, maybe it helps a little bit, but that doesn't change the underlying problem because mm-hmm. all that does is impose another system that now people are going to resent that system and business is going to be, and people are going to be angry. People are going to be up in arms because the government can't do this for us. We all have land beneath our own feet. Like this is not, we're going to the top of the pyramid <laughs> to tell them to fix the, our own backyard. Yep. And that's never going to work. Mm. Approach your backyard or where your front yard or wherever you are, because the earth is not an abstract concept. Climate change Climate change is an abstract concept, right? Oh, the the, cli- the temperature is rising, like, you know, like <laughs> 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit every year or something. Like, nobody, that means nothing to anybody. That's but it. here's what you can do. You can go to your local watershed and witness the actual, like, suffering that's taking place there. Because I guarantee you it's there. And see how that feels to you. Now, now what do you want to do? Do you want to plant some trees? Do you want to like organize a community event to pick up some plastic? Do you want to, whatever it is, like that's where it starts. And actually, I believe that's where it ends too. Mm -hmm. Because if everybody does that, the work will be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess it feels like, you know, we're trying to solve this, you know, global problem or this connection to the natural world with our heads, with logic, as opposed to with feeling and in our hearts, (laughs) you know? Or our bodies too. I mean, our go, yeah. go, go out into the world, go, go out into some like wild place where there's like a pit of mud, take all your clothes off and roll in it. And tell me you, you don't feel something different about the earth at that point. Mm, absolutely. So tell me about that journey that you took. Was it naked and afraid? Something like naked that? Naked and afraid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So about seven months ago, this this like opportunity just sort of came to me out of out of the blue. I was not expecting it. Um, one of like my coworkers and previous supervisor at work was like, "Hey, this show is looking for people," and I was like, oh, "Okay, kind of interested." And then they just kind of like wrote me in. Next thing I knew, I was in Colombia in the jungle, like going out, like literally, totally naked. I had two partners we had four items between the three of us um and they're like you know we had 21 days to survive out there and and figure out how to survive out there and like i spent a lot of time in nature and like i have like much more in the way of primitive skills than most people but i'm not a survivalist like i don't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I certainly don't know that jungle like sir like it's it's 
it's a very modern concept to have this image of the survivalist that can just go to any environment, anywhere, know how to survive. That's not how that works. <laughs> like people live in a certain place and they know this is the juniper tree. This juniper tree provides firewood, it provides building, it provides vitamin C, it provides kindling, it provides all of these things. This tree is really important. We have a relationship with this tree. So all of a sudden I'm like in this place where I don't know any of the trees or any of the plants or any of the animals. I don't know what the soil's like. I don't know what what the like the sky looks like when it's about to rain. Like I don't know anything about this place. Um and I had to survive there for the next <laughs> 21 days. And uh I learned a lot. It was really really humbling and um I'm actually really glad I did it. It's kind of like there's a part of me that's like kind of revolted by the show because it's in the title, right? Like naked and afraid as if nature is something that's inherently yeah. frightening and something we should be afraid of. And I don't, I, I find that idea to actually be a part of the problem. Mm. Um, and yet it was really great experience for me to be out there and like, all of my comforts and insulative things like no 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 building to keep me from the ele the elements even clothing is already a form of shelter so i was completely vulnerable to this jungle which just had its way with me <laughs> <laughs> did you find like your your normal practices of connecting to nature, obviously they kicked in and did that help you on that journey? Um, yeah, I think they did. They, they definitely, well, actually, I don't know if that's true. I was going to say, I was going to say they definitely didn't help me find food. However, I'm not, not sure that that's true because I did find food and I was only able to find that food because I found the will to keep going every every day. Some people, when they hear that I was on this show, they think I'm some like gritty, hard-nosed badass. I'm not. I spent, I cried probably every day and just like submitted and surrendered myself to the jungle and said like, I'm here. I'm still here. Like I still want to know you and understand you and I would do this morning practice, this morning ritual where I would go and I would sit on this rock and I would speak to this jungle and I would speak to myself and I would listen too. And I found that that every day while I got weaker and weaker and weaker physically, my will and my desire to um, continue engaging just got stronger and stronger and stronger because I was like, what an incredible opportunity to get to know this jungle in this way. And I don't know that I don't think of myself as a particularly tough person. I think there are people that maybe could succeed in that environment and like succeed in that kind of challenge just through like grit. And I don't think I'm that person. I don't know that I would have been able to do that if that was what I had to do, but it's okay because I didn't. Mm. instead what I did is go out every morning before trying to do anything and allow myself to be nourished by that place not not through food but through a spiritual nourishment perhaps 
That's beautiful. And have you been able to bring that practice back into the real world? Real world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Real world. Uh, I, I think of it as the artificial world because it's the world that world. we built. <laughs> yep. Um, that practice of kind of going out in the morning and sitting with the land. Mm. Yeah, sometimes. So I I continued... Like I said, I cook pizzas now while I'm sort of in between things and transitioning. But um, up until recently, I was working as a wilderness therapy field guide. So 15 days out of every month, at least, I was in the desert with kids. And the best days ever were the days when I woke up way before the kids. And I could like journal and go and just sit. And those were amazing. Um, now I don't do that so much, not in that way anyways. Um, I found that I really like walking around at night and just like being in the night and like looking at the moon or the stars or the shadows of the trees. Um, I found that to be nourishing in the same or maybe not the same, but a similar way as that morning practice was then. Mm-hmm. And it's always changing too. I don't think the shape of the practice matters as much as the intention. Absolutely. So yeah, I've definitely continued with that intention and sometimes even even more deeply than I did out there because I was a bit distracted in some sense by like, I'd be like sitting there on the rock and then I would hear like a stick crack behind me. I'm like, <laughs> instantly turn around in the hopes that it's some kind of iguana or something that I could eat. And in some way that was beautiful to like witness that heightening of senses. And it like, it felt very animal and that was amazing. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. And also I'm grateful now that I can go out onto the land, well-fed and well-nourished already <laughs> so that I'm not looking for that out there. Yeah. At least not so desperately. I might find a mushroom and be like, oh, I wonder if that's edible. And, <laughs> it and see what happens. <laughs> I don't just eat random mushrooms. When I, <laughs> just to be clear to everybody. <laughs> yeah, and definitely don't eat random mushrooms for anyone who's listening. Many of them are not good for you and definitely get them identified by an expert. Um, <laughs> but also be curious because maybe you can and maybe they're delicious and maybe you know, there's this abundant source of food all around your house that you never knew about. That's How cool it. is that? That is cool. <laughs> so how do you think, I guess, society, culture, you know, what, what are we going to do to build more sustainable communities in the world? I'll speak personally. Um, I feel like, because I feel like that question, and, and maybe this is just what I'm hearing in it because I've heard it in so many other questions is like, what is the answer? What is like the one answer that everyone can do everywhere, no matter who they are, where they are, what their situation is. And I don't believe that answer exists, first of all. Um, but I do think that there are answers for every person and that answer is gonna change based on 
like who that person is and their history and the resources they have available to them, maybe even the particular season and the moment and where they live, maybe like how they're feeling that day and if they're talking to their mom or not, or like any number of things. Um, that being said, there are some general things that make sense to me that may not make sense to different people, but I can only share my own experience. Um, and that is, I operate from the framework that our civilization is going to collapse. I just take that as a given. At some point, the grid is going to go down and you cannot depend on those that coal plant that's however thousand miles away to provide your electricity. You cannot count on the grocery stores to ship those giant freights to you and get your fresh produce and food to you. You cannot count on the, the gas company to heat your house. I think there's going to come a time when all of that is going to go away. Um, which is great because those are incredibly resource intensive things. And that's like why, why are, we're in this situation we're in. But fortunately, you don't need any of that. Like, and it can start simply. Like I was, I was sort of like talking in jest about going and finding mushrooms that grow around your area. But you know what? That's actually a revolutionary thing because you know what that means is you don't have to buy the factory farmed, like industrial grown, came from a thousand miles away mushrooms from the grocery store. And maybe you can find like local edible greens as well. And you don't have to buy like kale that probably was grown in a field that was cut down. It used to be a thriving ecosystem. So one of these things, like one of the major principles to me is like, take back your power and your empowerment to to take care of yourself mm. but don't be confused either because nobody takes care of themselves really what i mean when i say that is let the land that you live on take care of you because it wants to and if you really take some time to go and get to know that land you will notice that it's giving things to you all the time and whatever it's not giving it may be ready to give and maybe all you have to do is plant a seed and an apple tree will grow. And maybe then you start doing some like, like small scale farming and all of these things. And you'll find that your needs are being met in a way that doesn't require that the entire civilized structure we live in to keep persisting. Um, and in the meantime, you'll be reducing your impact dramatically. And if you're doing it in a conscious and intentional way, you will actually be revitalizing and restoring the, the health of the land that you're depending on and relating with. And sort of my vision, my ideal vision is that if individual communities all over the world started doing this thing where they started growing their own food, maybe got wind turbines, produced their own electricity, start doing natural building processes or building with whatever they have on hand. Maybe they have a junkyard with a bunch of tires and they start building buildings out of tires that exist. I've seen that. Um, and they start like living life rooted in that place that they live. 
all of a sudden they're not participating in this global extractive culture. They're just living their lives on their land. And in the meantime, what they gain is an incredible sense of security, a deeper connection with their place that they live in, with the community that they share their space with, and a sense of empowerment that like, holy cow, like I can impact the world. I, this place is beautiful and I'm a part of that. Yeah. And if people do that all over the place and it starts to spread like a wildfire, um, we won't have to fight the system, right? We won't have to take down the oil companies or anything like that or impeach the president to get what we want. Those things that are happening out there will just stop being relevant. That's right. Because everything we need is right here in our place. Absolutely. I love that vision of yours. It's beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. So there's a popular saying that our inner world is reflected in our outer world. What are your thoughts Mm. on that and how it relates to trauma in our lives? Oh, oh, wow. That's a really amazing question. Wow. There's there's so much in that question. Um, First of all, I think I want to take a moment to define trauma as I understand it. Um, Trauma and, and to note too, my understanding comes from, I think a more educated perspective than the mainstream, which is this kind of idea of trauma is like trauma is what happens when a really terrible thing happens to you. And like, maybe, maybe it's war or violence or something like that. And that's trauma. And anything that's not that is not trauma. The truth is, as I understand it, and it's supported by a lot of evidence on um, the human nervous system, that trauma is a neurological phenomenon. It's what happens inside our bodies when some kind of stressor that's in our environment is overstimulating or overwhelming for us and we cannot respond effectively to it. Um, and that could be because like, holy shit, that car's about to hit me and there's nothing you can do to stop that or like entirely protect yourself from that event. Or it can be because um, maybe in that moment, you just don't have the reserves inside you to meet that challenge that's coming up. Um, and so what happens in those situations is like our nervous system gets like stuck. The energy that wants us to respond to that threat is still inside us. And our nervous system, it's not a brain thing. It's more like our nervous system embodied. It includes our brain, but it's also like the nerve endings in your hand, your finger, in your arms or whatever that's still trying to protect you from that car. Maybe you have a thing in your shoulder after that car accident because your arm is still trying to lift up and protect your face from that car that's coming. Or it could be like have more psychological symptoms. Regardless of what it is, your nervous system, until that trauma is resolved, whatever you might think or know or understand on intellectual level, your body thinks that you are unsafe and that there is a threat 
to your safety. Um, and I think it's pretty clear, <laughs> maybe, how that might impact a person. Because if I feel threatened in my body, right? Maybe my shoulders are tense or my, my stomach, I can't breathe properly. And maybe I'm like that all the time. And maybe it's because, you know, when I was eight years old, my dad like came into my room and threatened me and I wasn't able to do anything about it. And, but maybe I don't know that's why it is, but my bo regardless of why or what happened, it's in my body and I feel that now. And so now when I'm walking around the world, I think that threat is around me all the time. Or maybe, or maybe it's not all the time. Maybe it's just something triggers it. And maybe if I see anyone who looks remotely like my father, now he's the threat. Even if he's not doing anything, my body's reacting to him. And all I know is that like, he is making me feel this way. He must be a threat to me. And traumas like this happen to all of us our entire life. There's not a single one of us. I, I cannot imagine that there's a single one of us who doesn't have some sort of unresolved trauma. And so then it's not surprising to know that and understand that and look at our world where we're constantly fighting with each other. There's war, there's competition, there's conflict. There's people trying to get the leg up on each other. We think that the, even the, the earth itself is a threat to us. And maybe it's not. And maybe we don't need to spend millions of dollars building up our military. Maybe we don't need to constantly sink a blade into the earth every year in order to get our food. Maybe, maybe actually the threat isn't out there. Maybe it's inside us. And that is what is compelling us to behave so aggressively or fearfully towards each other and towards the world is because we're traumatized and we haven't reckoned with that yet. And it comes to mind, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit edgy to say, but um, I'm an American and the president of the United States is Donald Trump. When I see that man, I see a man who is, who must be profoundly traumatized. Why else would a person like think that everyone is out to get him or out to get us? It's not like, because, because they're not like nobody, well, maybe not nobody. I think there are a lot of people in the Middle East that do really just for good reason are just really, really out to get us. But for the most part, that threat isn't there. The, the threat is in, in his own mind. And I see this man constantly lashing out at everyone. No one is safe to him. And I have a lot of, it gets sucks and it's frustrating and nobody should have ever given that man power. And also, I have a lot of compassion for this one who must feel terrified all the time. What a horrible world to live in. Absolutely. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain's just ticking over with all the wonderful information you shared. Yeah, well, actually, it gets better, too. And I'd like to share this, too, because... Um, 
the thing about trauma is it doesn't have to control you. Um, and I, that, that might even just hearing that to some people might be triggering. Cause I know that there are a lot of people who have spent years and decades and decades feeling like they are a victim to their trauma and that they cannot escape what has happened to them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's only just now coming to light like what trauma actually is. And in conjunction with that comes the understanding of what we can do about it. Mm. Um, there have been so many like therapies for PTSD that were all about talking or recapitulating the event that didn't work for people because trauma is not a mental phenomenon. It's a physical thing that happens in the body. Um, so now there's these, there's all these different kinds of somatic based therapies. I can think of a few, like there's somatic experiencing, there's organic intelligence. Um, there's, I think, well, actually, I don't really know if that one works or not, but at least those two <laughs> are, and I'm sure there's so many more. I've certainly am not the expert in the field, but, um, there are these somatically based therapies that can allow a person to discharge that unused survival energy from their from their nervous system and that certainly doesn't make the frightening or horrifying event from having taken place it certainly doesn't get rid of the pain or the anguish at that experience but what it can do for you is open up enough space inside you that you can now hold that experience without it taking you over. Um, and to me, that's something that's really, really amazing that may, it just may be that the entire arc of our civilization has been the desperate, unconscious patterning of humans um, rehashing their trauma over so many generations. And it just may be that we're finally at the point where the buck can stop here and we can say, oh, the problem isn't out there. I don't need to change anything in the environment. I don't need to like cut this forest down. I don't need to like kill that tribe over there. Like actually I can heal this and I can find the wholeness inside me that's always been there waiting for me. Mm. And it just might be that if we do that, we <laughs> won't have to try so hard anymore. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing today, Daniel. Are there any final words of wisdom? I feel like we covered a lot. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'll just revisit a couple of things that I think that anybody who's listening can do. Um, what you can do is spend time with your local place. Maybe you live in a city and it's really hard for you to get out to nature. And 
I know that that's really hard. Um, and there's still a world out there waiting for you. No amount of pavement can cover up the sky or the clouds. Wherever you are, I'm almost certain there's birds and you can listen to the birds. So I highly encourage everyone to take time intentionally to get to whatever natural or wildish place is available and just start a conversation. And that conversation might be just listening and looking and touching the things around you and see how that impacts you. Um, and for those of us who feel that maybe we have trauma, which again is every one of us, um, and you have the ability, I do highly encourage you to look into some somatic-based therapies. Somatic experiencing is the one that I'm being trained in, um, but there's so many others, and it's it may be hard to believe, but it truly is possible to heal and not be a victim to your trauma anymore. And to anybody who is in that place, I highly encourage you to do that because you deserve that. You deserve to be free to let life in. So please give yourself that gift. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Daniel. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening in to the episode today. Daniel is a beautiful soul, beautiful, inspiring soul on this planet. And if you would like to get in touch with Daniel and his projects and see what he gets up to in the world, head over to sagacityrising.com forward slash AGEL 020. And if you'd like to connect in a community of like minded people who are dedicated, to exploring their own self-development and spiritual path and journey in this lifetime, head to tribe.sagacityrising.com. Thank you once again for taking time out of your life to listen to the episode today. Stay groovy, my friends. My out.